The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 520 for May 29th, 2016. Contradictory lab test results link certain cancers to cellular radiation, the continued slow slide of Windows Mobile, and Batman coming to a phone near you. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. Well, kicking off the news this week, in opposition to recent news to the contrary, male rats exposed to cell phone radiation in large U.S. government studies were more likely to develop rare brain and heart cancers, a preliminary analysis has found. This, of course, adds weight to the concerns that smartphones could pose health risks to people, but the study is, as they say, the most comprehensive yet of lab animals exposed to radiation, but researchers say it's far from conclusive. So uh, such findings pose a number of different puzzles. First, it's not clear why cancer rates rose in male but not female rats, rats, and also why rats exposed to cell phone radiations live on average longer than radiation-free rats. The study also does not pinpoint the biological mechanism that would account for the findings, and as usual, it comes with a large caveat that the studies are of rodents and not humans. So lots of uh, questions here. Uh, The FDA says the agency would determine if any uh, impact this study has on their thinking on the risks tied to cell phone radiation. Yeah, it seems like the data is pretty thin here on this. And, you know, of course, uh, some of the, of course, it hit the mainstream media as, you know, this is definitely going to, you know, you're definitely going to have cancer. But, uh, you know, it's been interesting as over the years here since, you know, cell phones have been, uh, you know, really uh, popular over the past 15 years, there's been no, you know, increase overall in, in reports of brain cancer at all. And if that were the case, you know, if if cell phones did actually cause that, I, we would have seen at least some sort of increase in, in, in that. And we just have not uh, at this point in time. Yeah. And, and that's kind of one of the biggest things, the, the unknown of how the findings that they came here would actually translate over to people walking around with a cell phone pressed up against their head. And several scientists are trying to make this leap from rats over to humans. Um, in European countries, they're tracking uh, habits of 300,000 people. Uh, they've been doing this for like five years. And, and the same time, um, the they're really not seeing this the information coming back and saying that um, this is indeed what is contributing to this. And so, again, we're, we're, we're not seeing a lot of conclusive evidence here. And so that is that is where this this report and the way that it came out was 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 just it wasn't it wasn't the right thing to do it's almost like we should have read this and kind of gone okay so this is out there but we don't really have any solid results that we can base on this yet because it just gets people kind of whipped up into a frenzy it is and it, you know really it's a you know it's a function of uh let's take a study that has you know a tiny tiny bit and this isn't anything unusual for any study whatsoever i mean it happens with food constantly they do a, a tiny 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 study uh, on an effect of, you know, whatever, you know, X number, X chemical or something, and it blows into this huge, oh, you can't eat this because of that chemicals in there. And it, it it's just meaningless. It's junk science. And, uh, you know, this particular report was, you know, it, it's garbage and shouldn't really have ever even been reported on. Yeah, my favorite are the three that the mainstream always picks up on. It's always chocolate. Chocolate is good for you. You should have some every day. Uh, wine. You know, you should be drinking a lot more or a lot less wine and coffee. 
you need to either cut it out completely or continue your two cup a day habit because it's either going to kill you or it's going to make you live longer. And there's right. always these, th- those are the three that I always get that kind of remind me of, of this kind of study. It is. And it's the same thing. It's, you know, the, the, if you actually go look up the, the actual study itself, uh, you know, usually if you kind of interpret it uh, and, 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 and jump to the, uh, you know, and look at even their summary, it does not mirror what the media reports that the study says. Like they completely changed the summary and it mean it's, it's completely meaningless. Uh, and, and I don't know how they can get away doing that. Well, it's interesting because I I continually think about, um, you know, this kind of stuff and and how this is going to affect the kind of the industry moving forward, because I think I think that our our generation especially is is one that is um, is regularly interested in these kinds of things. And obviously we're making decisions based on our health and and our, uh, you know, personal well-being is a lot more than previous generations have. And so as a as a generation that is thinking more in how is this going to affect me? Um, this is obviously one of the things that so many of us are using so much more of the time. And, uh, if it's, if it's going to ultimately be a detriment to our health, a lot of people are going to curb or cut back or, or we're going to see some major changes, but that's only going to, of course, be if we've got some real data to back that stuff up. And I, I totally agree there. There's, uh, you know, there's definite radiation coming out of the device. It's very, very, very low power and it's in you know, frequencies that are, you know, kind of in the radio uh, spectrum. And they, uh, of course, the, the uh, you know, 1900, which a lot of the CDMA carriers use and, and even the sprints, you know, 2.4, that's that's in the, the range of microwave. I mean, that's what the, your microwave oven is at. I mean, my microwave says it's at, you know, 2.4 gigahertz. So it's in that same, uh, you know, frequency, but the power is, you know, non-existent in comparison. Um, and, and I, I do agree. It's something, you know, if it is uh, a concern, we should be careful. But I think uh, there's much bigger things to be worried about uh, for cancer risks uh, compared to the cell phone. And at least in, you know, my opinion, we've got so many other chemicals that we're exposed to. That's probably much more dangerous than the the phones. Well, yeah, chemicals, um, you know, I'll just say fats or other things. I mean, it's, just, it's, there are, again, to your point, there are so many other things that, um, that we should be thinking about other than this. I mean, environmental exposure to both radiation, electromagnetic, and in other types, um, this is all stuff that happens. You are exposed to things very early on in your life, depending on what part of the country you live in. There's other types of radiation, types of the parts of the world you live in. There's diff- other different types of radiation. So there's all these different things that are happening there. And, and I guess it's, it's very easy to say, well, I would not want to put myself in any additional radiation uh, risk or have additional exposure to different things. But that is also comes at a a different type of cost, which is whether or not you're actually going to be able to function in today's modern world if, if you're not willing to take at least some of that risk. One of the uh, the mainstream media report uh, reports I saw said, well, use a Bluetooth headphone, uh, Bluetooth headset if you're worried about this. Like, what do you think the Bluetooth headset is using to communicate with? And I, I just shake my head like if you don't know what you're talking about, shut up. Don't it, talk about it. It's a headset, and it is still radiating electromagnetic energy. At 2.4 gigahertz. Yes, exactly. So you, to your point, yeah, shouldn't be talking about it if you're not going to provide a good solution. A wired headset That's is a totally different conversation. Totally different, but use a Bluetooth one. I, I, I thought that was great. It's pretty good. So, However, however Bluetooth is a lower power than your cell phone. Indeed uh, it, it is. It is lower power, but if, if it's really a concern, then you know, don't be using it. Yeah, I guess I would I would put in other types of uh, things as a, um, a say like an environmental thing that you could change that would be more impactful, which would be like, don't use a Wi-Fi router as your pillow. 
right? That's <laughs> probably decent advice. It could be. I don't know. I get. I like to make sure my streaming is solid when I'm sleeping. So that's right. Either way. Switching gears, researchers at the University of Michigan have created software that adds 3G, 3D touch-like functionality to any device. The software will send out a high-frequency sound from the speaker and then use the microphone to listen to and analyze that sound. The changes uh, in the sound as people interact with the device can tell the difference between light touch and a more firm press of the screen. And so what happens then is the phone is squeezed uh, in a various pattern and then the Force Phone software um, is able to make changes to how hard or soft the screen is pressed without any sort of special sensors or technology. Uh, They say the functionality can be realized on any phone and uh, the professor of computer science, Kang Shin, has said that the idea is uh, is very sound. Now, it also is very, very much a similar one to uh, one that was implemented by Elliptic Labs from earlier this year. But uh, either way, people uh, are certainly taking advantage of uh, the idea that Apple has come through here with this uh, 3D touch, which I, I, I do really like. And I, I find myself using it quite a bit on the phone and thinking that it's on the iPad as well. So it's unfortunate that it didn't come to the new iPads because I, I do like it. Yeah, it's strange. I've got that uh, feature disparity between that and, and uh, you know, the watch has it as well. And, and it, it's so kind of rarely used on the watch that I don't, I, 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 I forget that it's there. And when I do remember it's there, I, I, it doesn't, it, it doesn't always consistently work. It usually just kind of flashes at you. So you have no it, you know, visual indication on when to use it. And that's what I, I find frustrating about it. To me, it's it's mostly used. Um, I use it in two main places on the phone. At first, it's on the the um, icons on the main screen, um, and able to do a lot of shortcuts on there. So, as an example, um, I can hold down on any of the applications, and it will pop up with a little menu of options. And it, I, I use that actually quite a bit. Good. And of course, the other one I've read about that I would love to have is the, the cursor control. Um, oh, yeah. You know, instead of using the, the loop to, um, you know, pinpoint your, your text editing, uh, that that to me is the, the killer feature of it. It is. Uh, it's something that I use occasionally. It's um, I don't find it perfect. And so that's why I don't rely on it a lot. But um, even more than that is when you're in a list of mail, um, that peak and pop thing is is. I, I don't use it for that functionality, but I peek at a lot of things and then I'll swipe them just to delete them or I will swipe up and then archive them and stuff like that. So I use that quite a bit. Yeah. So that's cool. And it, it, the, the reason I think the cursor control is great because I use it on the iPad all the time, the two finger cursor control. Sure. Yeah. That's that. And I actually find that to be more intuitive than um, on the keyboard with my thumb, but on the phone, but either way, it's uh, uh, it certainly is something that is uh, an additive thing for a lot of people. And so seeing a, trying to figure out a way to do this on devices is, is kind of a, a, a good thing. And I guess, uh, you know, not every phone is going to have the technology, so they've got to come up with other ways and software would be the way to do it. Next, a group of companies have asked the FCC to make discussions about net neutrality violations more open to public discourse. Specifically, 59 internet companies sent a letter to the FCC asking the agency how it's handling zero rating services, such as T-Mobile's binge on and Verizon's freebie. So as of this week, the FCC is evaluating the services on a case-by-case basis, and they say uh, the group is that they, the Internet service providers, including mobile networks, have introduced a wide range of zero-rated services that teeter on the net neutrality line. So due to the volume of cases, decisions on each and every one, would, as they say, would have much more of the same effect as a new rule, only without the same public participation and transparency. 
So the companies believe that the public and stakeholders should have the right to participate in defining the new rules. They say zero rating profoundly affects internet users' choices and giving ISPs the power to favor some sites and services over others would let ISPs pick winners and losers online precisely what the open internet rules uh, exist to prevent. Because mobile networks are increasing the way most Americans get online, mobile ISPs matter equally, and it would be unacceptable not to seek and incorporate broad input and expertise at this critical stage. Some of the companies that signed the letter are some big ones, uh, Foursquare, uh, Etsy, Mozilla, Pinterest, uh, Yelp, among others. The FCC did not immediately, though, comment on the matter. The FCC on Wednesday issued a fine of up to $35 million against a China-based company for marketing and selling illegal cell phone signal jammers in the U.S. The FCC says CTS Technology marketed 285 different types of signal jammers in the U.S. to its consumers through its website. Some of the devices created created to interfere with cellular, Wi-Fi, and GPS signals at distances up to a half a mile, and they were sold to undercover FCC agents posing as customers and shipped from China to the U.S., Signal jammers represent a danger to the public and to first responders as they can prevent people from placing emergency calls and otherwise disrupt essential communications. The FCC first notified CTS about its violations in 2014 and attempted to contact the company numerous times. They even used its official channels. Uh, The CTS never responded to any of the allegations, and uh, the $35 million fine is due within 30 days. And Microsoft on Wednesday said it plans to further streamline its smartphone business, meaning job cuts and restructuring changes are planned for facilities around the world. The company plans to cut 1,350 jobs from its facilities in Finland, as well as another 500 jobs globally. The changes are expected to cost the company almost a billion dollars, of which $200 million would be used for severance packages. They say we're focusing on our, our phone efforts on where we have differentiation with enterprises that value security, manageability, and our continuum capability, and consumers who value the same. Uh, That's according to Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella. He said, we will continue to innovate across devices and on our cloud services across all mobile platforms. Microsoft says it expects to compete most of the job cuts by the end of the year and all of them by July of next year. Sales of Windows 10 mobile phones began in late 2015, but the platform has lost more ground since then, accounting for just 1% of the smartphone sales during the first quarter. That's according to Gartner. Microsoft said recently that its feature phone business uh, would be sold to Foxconn subsidiary, to a Foxconn subsidiary and that Nokia recently gave the same subsidiary the rights to use its brand on mobile devices, of course, paving the way for Nokia to make a return on uh, in the mobile phone business, although not directly by how they're running it. It's amazing how much, uh, you know, how much they've had to, you know, charge down uh, for this whole basically debacle it's turned into. I mean, it's a uh, it, it, it's a massive uh, amount of money they spent on trying to get this uh, promoted and it just went nowhere. And uh, most of the software makers are no longer making software. We'll talk about another one here once we get into that news. It's uh, it's not a good uh, not a good thing here. I mean, it's 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 really not a good time to be investing. In, and it goes the same for BlackBerry as well. They're they're not seeing much traction here. And and as a result of seeing software makers not creating uh, new you know builds of their versions, uh, it's it just makes no sense to be buying into either of these platforms anymore. Unfortunately for both of those companies. AT&T this week adding the singular flip to its lineup of cheap feature phones. The model number is M3620, but AT&T is naming it the singular flip. 
So the Flip, a basic feature phone with a large keypad, 2.8-inch screen, 2-megapixel camera with video capture, user programmable, programmable keys, large text options, and a basic web browser. It includes Bluetooth, UMTS, and a single-core MediaTek processor with 64 megs of RAM and 128 megs of storage. It runs the Nucleus Plus 2.1 operating system and has simple apps on it such as calendars, uh, address book, and text messaging. It's available in stores and online for $60. It's amazing this is even a story that we're talking about in 2016. Some of these numbers on here obviously sound like a device more like from 2006. So very, uh, very peculiar, but nonetheless, people love their flip phones if that's something that you've had for a long time. Also from AT&T, starting June 9th, only two next payment plans will be offered down from the current four. First off, the AT&T Next Every Year. This is upgrade to a new device every year with a 24-month financing program term. Uh, so you can make that upgrade as long as 50% of the phone has been paid off. And then there's AT&T Next. This is more traditional. Upgrade every two years with 30 months of financing as long as 80% of the phone has been paid off. In addition, customers have the option of making a down payment when they first purchase the phone or tablet, which then reduces the monthly payments on the new plans. Other restrictions apply, including deposits for customers with poor credit. And finally, from AT&T, the carrier made its GoPhone prepaid service plans more attractive by adding more high-speed data without changing the price points. $45 gives you 2 gigs of data, or excuse me, brings you from 2 gigs up to 3 gigs of data. The $60 plan brings you from 5 up to 6 gigs. And the latter also includes unlimited talk and text from the U.S. to both Mexico and Canada, as well as talk and text and data roaming in the same two countries. The new data allotments will be applied to the accounts automatically. Customers who enroll in AutoPay will receive a $5 service credit each month. T-Mobile on Wednesday said it has agreed to buy 700 megahertz spectrum from Leap in order to bring its extended range LTE coverage to the Chicago metro area. Specifically, T-Mobile is snagging A-Block 700 megahertz spectrum in Chicago, Elgin, Bloomington, Normal, Kenosha, and other cities around the Chicago metro area. Leap License Co., a company that holds spectrum licenses, is owned by AT&T, and T-Mobile will turn on the LTE and the low-band spectrum they're purchasing from Leap License Co. once the transaction has been completed. This will allow it to offer low-band coverage to close to 270 million Americans around the uh, country, including in the top 10 U.S. markets. T-Mobile already offers LTE in Chicago via its AWS spectrum. Financial terms of the transaction were not disclosed. Of course, the deal must be reviewed by the FCC. For those that are not in a market with the extended range LTE, I can tell you it uh, functions exceptionally well, and those in Chicago will be very happy to uh, see this come to their area. Toyota and Uber on Tuesday announced a partnership that will see the two companies collaborate on several new initiatives. The services uh, that are included will benefit both Toyota and Uber's shared customers, including new leasing options for car purchasers who can cover their vehicle payments through Uber-generated earnings. Also, customers, uh, the companies that the companies are looking at a car-based application that can assist Uber drivers. The Toyota and Uber did not disclose the financial terms of the partnership or further details about what that application would do. And staying on that automotive track, Hyundai this week made it possible for owners of select models to install Android Auto and CarPlay themselves. Hyundai owners will need to download a navigation system update from Hyundai's website to a USB driver SD card and then update the car manually. The company posted detailed instructions on its website to walk customers through the update process. 
Hyundai says the download and install process can take anywhere from one to four hours, depending on the vehicle. And some of the models compatible with the upgrade are the 2015 and 16 Sonata and Genesis, the 2016 Elantra and Tucson, and the 2017 Santa Fe and Santa Fe Sport. Android Auto and CarPlay both bring certain smartphone features to the dashboard, including navigation, phone and messaging, as well as music playback. Customers who want to up to, uh, want to upgrade but aren't comfortable doing it themselves can have it performed at a Hyundai dealer for a fee. That's a really cool thing that they provided. Uh, that's an amazing feature to be able to upgrade and do yourself. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's got to be some, you know, stuff that's happening under the hood with that where you're not literally under the hood because it's more like in your car in the cup holder area, the dash or the glove box, whatever it is. But anyway, you're taking this USB stick, plugging it in, and it's uh, downloading it, which I you never think about to do. Uh, but obviously, is a very nice uh, feature that they're able to to push that through with. Um, I'm guessing most companies are not going to be able to do this, so it's good on Hyundai to uh, to make that available. In device news, Samsung announcing the Samsung Galaxy S7 Edge. Injustice Edition this week. This was inspired by Batman. The Injustice Edition Galaxy S7 Edge package includes a customized S7 Edge with a black styling, gold detailing, and Batman logo stenciled on the back. The package includes a Gear VR headset along with Injustice game credits and Oculus VR content vouchers. The handset itself is unchanged from the standard version of the S7 Edge. Uh, The Injustice Edition will be sold in China, Singapore, Korea, Latin America, Russia, and other yet-to-be-named markets. It goes on sale at the end of June, pricing not disclosed. In other Android news, ZTE announcing the Axon 7, a flagship smartphone for 2016. ZTE has designed the phone with the help of BMW's Group DesignWorks Studio. The Axon 7 has a unibody aluminum design with clear lines. It comes in gold and silver finishes, features a 5.5-inch quad HD display with 2.5D curved glass, powered by a 2.2 gigahertz Snapdragon 820 processor with, get this, either 4 or 6 gigs of RAM. The processor has a 3140 milliamp hour battery. Quick charge 3.0 delivering a 50% charge in only 30 minutes. The main camera includes a 20 megapixel sensor from Samsung with optical and electronics image stabilization, sapphire lens, and aperture of f1.8. The selfie camera has an 8 megapixel camera on it and can capture video up to 4K. Other standout features include a dual AKM Hi-Fi audio chipset and Dolby Atmos software with stereo speakers, support for Google's Daydream virtual reality platform, support for memory cards, and quick fingerprint sensor, uh, which is located on the back. It adopts USB Type-C, ships with Android 6 Marshmallow, and has the My Favor 4.0 user interface, of which portions of it were designed by BMW's DesignWorks. The phone supports all U.S. LTE bands. It's compatible with AT&T and T-Mobile as a result, and at launch, uh, it will also work in other countries around the world. Sprint and Verizon compatibility will be coming later this year. It also includes uh, the Axon Passport 2.0, which is a two-year warranty plan protecting customers from broken screens and other damage. It goes on sale in China immediately and will reach the U.S. soon. It's priced under $500 and sold to customers via ZTEUSA.com, Amazon, Best Buy, B&H, eBay, eBay, and New Egg. So interestingly, there's a lot going for this phone. And for the first time, and I can't even tell you how long, I am really enticed by this device. And there's there's so much to it with on the spec side uh, that it really has me very excited. So Joey, would you put any money on the fact that I will not buy this device? I probably put a lot down (laughs) there's so much about it though that i find it's like okay it's got a great design right it's using top of the line 
hardware in there. You've got a great processor, tons of memory, great camera, new standard for charging, fast charging, all of this stuff built in and a good price, but how could I turn it down? Well, you can because it, it uh, maybe doesn't run the operating system that you like. That's the, you know, the big issue here. Uh, however, the price is very interesting, and I have a feeling that price is going to be something that's going to be uh, one of these benchmarks. You know, like we had that $200 price point uh, of a few years ago with, uh, you know, that, that was made kind of popular by the iPhone and a few others um, for the uh, kind of the, 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 the price of entry to get your flagship phone. I think $500 is going to be that new limit for, you know, full price phones. And, uh, you know, that opens up a bunch of implications here for the you know, manufacturers and their flagship phones to be probably near that $500 price point instead of the six, seven, eight, nine hundred dollars price points that we have uh, uh, currently. So it's interesting. So the device itself has, um, has a look that is very similar to the HTC devices in that um, it's got minimal bezels on the side and you've got speakers uh, effectively on the top and the bottom of this massive screen. Um, along one side of it, you have both the volume and what appears to be a power button. And then on the very back of it is where that fingerprint sensor is. So you basically reach around with your finger and use that as the fingerprint sensor on the back. Um, it, it's a nice looking device, um, maybe a little bit chunky, but it's got a big battery in it. So that it's probably why it's, it's got a little bit more heft to it. Um, but either way, it's, it's a very interesting device. Um, a lot of people are saying more like $450, um, eventually they're going to release this version, uh, the, the six gig version, uh, that is not the one that they're releasing at the, at the beginning. And that's going to be a little over $600. Um, and, uh, that will have a pressure pressure sensitive screen on it as well. Uh, but still even the original version of this one here with the four gigs, um, and, uh, you know, I guess it'll be 64 gigs of, um, storage built into it, I believe. So it's going to be pretty solid. But to your point, it's not running the, the version of the operating system that I use on, on my phone today. And so I'll have to keep that in mind before I just jump into something like that. It will not work with iMessage. It will not work with my watch. It will not synchronize with my iTunes. Uh, although I could get Apple Music on there now because you can get that on Android, right? So I could do that. But, um, you know, there are, there are a number of other things, other considerations to have. And, uh, you know, as we've talked about over the past month or so, there's there are these are just almost very difficult things to make uh, make this change happen. So, got some thinking to do there. But uh, either way, I'll, you know, obviously it's not here in the U.S. quite yet. Um, but uh, I, I'm excited to see that there's at least something coming out here that's a sub $500 price point that is as high end specs as this. Because that's that's pretty exciting stuff. On the wearable side, Pebble on Tuesday announcing the Pebble Two and Time Two smartwatches, along with the Core Connected button. The devices target fitness users and include heart rate monitors for tracking workouts and monitoring sleep. Pebble recently updated its health tools, and the Pebble 2 and Time 2 are able to take advantage of the upgraded software. Both send notifications, show the owner's schedule, control music, run 13,000 apps, and perform simple tasks. Each has an e-paper display and is water-resistant down to 30 meters. The Pebble 2 can run for 7 days and costs $99, while the Time 2 can run for 10 days and costs $170. Both are compatible with Android uh, on 
and iOS smartphones. The Core is a 3G-enabled fob, and the Pebble says it acts as a smartphone when on the go. The device has two buttons that can be programmed to do anything, such as starting and stopping of streaming Spotify playlists. The Core has Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, and GPS radios and can act as a relay to internet for Pebble smartwatches. It can also be paired with Bluetooth headsets and accept voice commands as a result. It also can serve as a hotspot, sync, and also uh, have select fitness applications on it as well. That costs $99. All three available for pre-order uh, in on the Kickstarter site. Pebble 2 ships in September, Time 2 in November, and the Core in early 17. In software news, Google this week updated its Google search application for iPhone with several new features. The biggest is support for Google's accelerated mobile pages, or AMP, articles that make use of Google's AMP technology load much faster than other articles. They are called out by a lightning bolt and are stamped with the AMP signage. Google says search on the refreshed iPhone app is much faster, and search now shows video highlights on Google Now cards for the NBA and NHL. On the Android side, Wells Fargo announced they'll be releasing a wallet for Android later this summer. The addition of the official mobile banking application will transform the experience into a payment solution on your phone. The wallet will make the application more convenient to use for customers, allowing them to check accounts, perform banking tests, and make payments, including NFC payments at supported terminals. The bank already supports Android Pay, so if you'd rather use Google's own wallet experience, you can continue to do so. Spotify Monday reducing the cost of its family plan to $15 a month and adding support for up to six individual users. That's consistent with streaming music offers from both Apple and Google. Each user is able to create and manage their own playlists. The old plans used to cost $30 a month for five users. The Spotify apps are free to download from Google Play and iTunes. That's a big discount uh, going. That's half the price now. Yeah, it is. And uh, obviously, then there's another user that is included there as well. Uh, And uh, certainly, I think they're just trying to will keep up, number one, with these other services that are probably eating their lunch in many ways. And uh, also differentiating themselves and saying you can now have six users here versus I think it's five on both Apple and Google. So um, that hopefully is helpful for them, too. Twitter on Tuesday said it's planning to change how it handles characters and content in an effort to make the service easier to use. Over the next few months, Twitter will drop at names, photos, quoted tweets, and other media attachments from the character count. It's also going to stop requiring a period before usernames when tweeting. This means people will now be able to respond to people on Twitter as they will, as well as include photos or GIFs and still have 140 characters to write what they want. The restrictions will be removed at uh, a time when, so developers will have the opportunity to update their apps accordingly. Twitter hopes the changes will make it easier to use for newcomers and less frustrating for seasoned veterans. And finally today, yet another nail in the coffin, as we mentioned earlier, this one for non-iPhone and Android devices. PayPal on Wednesday said it would end support for its Windows Phone, BlackBerry, and Amazon Fire phone applications on June 30th. After that date, any of these apps will not be able to log in or use the PayPal mobile application. PayPal says these users will be able to sign in with PayPal.com via the browser on their device and conduct transactions online. PayPal further said all Android and iOS users of its mobile app will need to upgrade to version 6.0 between June 3rd and June 30th. Version 6.0 of PayPal Mobile uh, has a design refresh and also gave it a more prominent placement of features its customers most use, such as sending and requesting money, PayPal balances, and transaction history. PayPal, free to download from the Google Play and iTunes stores. You know, while this made news, I I bet there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of apps a day that abandon, you know, the the Windows Phone, BlackBerry, and Amazon, uh, Fire Phone platforms every day. I, I would imagine because it's just 
you know, the, 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 the number of users on just isn't increasing at all. And it doesn't make sense, the cost, you know, from a cost perspective to keep these things going. Totally get it. I, I understand exactly why they would decide to do this. It's just for those that are, you know, using Windows Mobile and there's very few applications that are probably, I'll just say left or ones that you're actually using. Um, you know, PayPal is a pretty big one. It is. Uh, however, it doesn't mean that you can't use it anymore. You just go to the website and they have, you know, mobile formatted websites that work great. Uh, you know, typically you'd, you'd, you'd hardly need apps for most of these things. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, obviously, I, I think more about this from a, uh, you know, going on and just wanting to send money quickly. And so, yes, you can still use it. And interestingly, I, I use a lot of, of mobile websites versus the actual applications themselves, just because I go to them so infrequently. And the mobile app is or the mobile website, the web app, I should call it, is good enough. I mean, it doesn't there's no reason for me to, uh, you know, to need anything more than that. So maybe this is one of those things. I, I don't have PayPal on my phone anymore. Interestingly enough, I just don't need it. I don't use it for very much. And, uh, you know, it's not like I'm using NFC, but I'm not using that either. So yeah, and I've never had PayPal installed uh, the app ever. Yeah. So either way, uh, it is maybe something that won't be as big of a deal as we think it is, but it was a pretty prominent one to make that announcement this week. Well, no questions or comments, uh, but if you have anything for us, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call 650-999-0524 or send us email to questions at the cell phone junkie.com and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.